This is Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? And this is a podcast about the old world and the new, how the values in each are colliding, and uh, how we make sense of them in First Things Foundation. www.first-things.org is what we do. Go check us out today on Watar, Paul Kingsnorth, author, writer, creative, extraordinaire, and a guy who is delving into the concept of the machine. Um, he's written brilliant novels. You can find a link to all of his work. He's back with us from Ireland, Paul Kingsnorth on Wata. The devil's too serious. Like, everybody's out there very serious. And, um, I mean, I don't, I, I hear in your voice when you write, a, a, de- a, a real beautiful lightness. It's heavy stuff, but it's light somehow. And so is there an answer in that to why I think a lot of us are upset these days about life. And I always think there's a way to laugh at this. And so this is the light part. Our little, our little uh, studio can laughter save us <laughs> from the machine. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? I'm glad. I'm glad you think. I'm glad you think there's a lightness in the writing because a lot of people don't. Um, they they only see the doom in what I do. Um, no. But yeah, I, well, I suppose you know when when you're when you're a writer for some reason I have spent the last ten years or maybe all of my life writing about these very big, heavy things. That's the kind of person I am. This stuff just sits on my shoulders. So I don't know why that is. Um, <laughs> I'm quite capable of being light-hearted in my actual life, but when it comes to writing. It's the really big things that sure. I want to write about. I don't know why that is. You know, I, I kind of like to be the sort of person who could write lighthearted short stories, but I'm just not. And there's no point in pretending at this point. But um, <laughs> don't do it. it's just don't not. Do it's it. not going to happen. Don't do it. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to be. Uh, I'm not an entertainer, really. Um, at least not on, on the page. So yeah, but there there are ways to write about these things. I suppose I've always tried to. I don't know what I, I don't know exactly what I'm trying to do, but I'm always trying to speak in a kind of human dialect. I don't want to write yes. like an academic. I don't yes. want to write like an activist. I want to write like what I actually am, which is a kind of non-expert, lower middle-class bloke, just sort of wandering through this stuff and trying to make sense of it with my head. That's all I am, and that's so. I, if I, I just try and remember that. Um, and write for people who I, I, you know, I suppose we all just write for people who we think are probably like us, you I know, so. or, or sort of see the world a bit like us. And we're just trying to communicate to them and saying, you know, can you see this as well? And I just have a particular style, which, yeah, I mean, it's, I wouldn't call it lighthearted exactly, but I hope it's open. You know, it's not, I'm not trying to be dense and, and right. prophetic with it. I so I don't know. I mean, I've, I've, I've been writing for so long, I don't even really know what my style is anymore. Right. I just do it. But but I'm glad it comes across like that. You, It's in the, it's in like the literary pause or something. It's in like, you can hear your, in your narrative, in your voice, like what you just did. Like, I think that's what I'm doing. And because you can hear that in your voice, everyone's like, yeah, you're doing it. And it, it's like, we go along with you rather than, you're hammering us with a sermon, you know, there's like, I think he knows. I don't know. It's pretty clear. He's wondering, let's go. That's how I feel about it. And well, that voice to me story. is beautiful. I was going to tell a story. You see, ser- sermons are, I'm not going to say sermons are horrible because an actual sermon can be wonderful, but, 
but you know i'm not a priest i'm just a writer and so you have to tell stories and you have to tell stories about what people's lives might be like you know you have to reach people on the human level um i mean i, I say you have to there are a lot of different ways you can write about things but it's the best way i've found to write about the really big stuff is to try and bring it down you know these essays i'm writing at the moment they're a combination of sort of personal observations and things that have happened to me and kind of enormous themes that i've dredged from huge books i've just read mm. and tried to piece together to try and uh, see a pattern and um i just found that i can't write without telling a story i always have to write i always have to start an essay with an image I always have to start an essay with an image or a story that might seem human to other people because I can't start an essay by jumping straight into some huge idea or concept or something like that. It's too dry. It's yeah. not, it's too academic. It, you have to tell stories. If this stuff doesn't actually make sense in people's lives, then it's irrelevant really. Yeah. You know, so that's the, that's the way you do it, isn't it? It's, um, it's the way that all all the best ideas are always communicated like that through human scale stories, I think. Right. I think that's what happened. I'm going to bring this up right now, but I think that's what happened with the Enlightenment crew that told the story of evolution. I think their story, which is an origin story, it captured Western society. It's like, oh, but I think Western society was already ready for the atheist narrative or whatever beginning there is in the evolution story. I feel like we were primed by the 1800s to hear, wow, that story resonates with me. But I think it's coming apart right now. So you've got you've got evolution on your mind. You told me this. What, what's going on? Well, fundamentally, I, you know, I, I've been writing too a little bit, but mostly I've been doing these podcasts, which I often write. And the thing that well, I did some research, and what I saw was is the evolutionary theories far in advance of Darwin were, were talking about proof for Darwin's theories long before there was any proof. But, but it wasn't proof. What it was was a reasoned narrative about where we came from. It goes all the way back to the Middle Ages with the Scala Natura, even back to Aristotle. And what you see is, is, is that the conversation that we came out of the muck has been going on for a long time. And Darwin takes it all and concentrates it. And what happens is for me is he tells a story, but it's not science. And we went for the story. And I think what we did is we gutted the heart or the noose over the last 150 years. And so I think you're writing, all of us who are in this subculture have to take on the evolution narrative. Pajot talks about it, but he kind of dismisses it. He's like, well, I, I'll take it or leave it. It doesn't matter to me, which I get. But there's something about it that allows. Okay, let me put it this way. And I'll give it to you. Every culture needs an origin story. Ours is evolution. And with it, we live out what it tells us. And what it tells us is we are by chance. We are just something that popped up which devalues us on some level. And then we get the machine. We have to. Mm. Yeah. So is it your, so do you believe that evolution literally didn't happen? Or do you believe that the yeah. story of evolution that's told is used in a way that backs up that narrative of meaninglessness? Here we or go. Don't, or don't you know? <laughs> I'm I, really, I really, obviously I'm not a, 
I don't sit in the books and look at the bones, but I'll tell you this as history goes, um, I don't believe the story that one creature became another, that there was a branch and that all the other creatures became all the other creatures and there was morphing and, and there were all these links, all these, you know, missing links. I, I don't believe the story that generally has been in textbooks since the 1900s, early 1900s. Um, do I think things change and morph and adapt? Sure. But the idea of explaining your existence, Paul, by talking about evolution as per the textbooks, I don't think it's possible. I don't believe that. But for instance, like Coca-Cola has evolved from what it was when some guy mixed it in a bottle. It's, I think they took the cocaine out. <laughs> yeah, tough. sadly, yes. It would have been much <laughs> yes. more fun if they hadn't. Yeah, but life would be more interesting probably if it was still in there. Wouldn't um, it though? Well, it's interesting, this, isn't it? Because I'm—I don't know about the science, but I mean, I assume that—I assume that things evolve. I assume that things change. I can see that the planet is very old, and all sorts of things have been shifting along the way. But what interests me is not so much that scientific question, which I can't answer, but the way that a certain type of scientific narrative is attached to an atheist narrative, and I think that's the interesting thing because it doesn't seem to me to be necessarily the case at all that you would have to attach a narrative about evolution or change or anything else come to that um to a narrative about atheism okay so we know that dinosaurs existed we presume that dinosaurs existed i hope so because they look fun um i used to love them when i was a child dinosaurs are not in the bible so a certain type of creationist uh, christian is going to get very cross about that and say therefore the bones must be fake and make themselves look ridiculous Right. We presume that we presume that's not the case. I certainly assume that's not the case. So things have obviously been changing for a long time. But it doesn't follow from that that there is no creator, that there is no God, that there is nothing beyond the material world, and that everything is a is a is a is a meaningless mass of nothing. Mm. It doesn't. Those two things do not fit together unless you are a, a biblical literalist who thinks Genesis is a scientific textbook, which I'm not. Which which, which are not, and most Christians have never been. Uh, and that's so, unless you're assuming that Genesis is a scientific textbook, then there's no reason that the past has to look a particular way. And the fact that evolution may or may not have happened and dinosaurs existed and the earth is older than people thought it was in the Middle Ages doesn't tell you anything about mm. humans. It doesn't tell you anything about God. It doesn't tell you anything about the nature of reality other than science has managed to discover some stuff which it didn't know before. So we, it's interesting to me that that gets attached to a narrative which says, oh, look, we've discovered all this stuff uh, and, and the medieval Christian picture of the world is not literally true and therefore, therefore atheism. That doesn't follow. But it's surprising how often people make the connection. I think I hear you. You you raised 30 questions and those are my same 30, but minus one. Here's one that I, I think we got to wrestle with on this topic, and that is the the notion of nature. So like, is there a nature to human beings? Um, and was that nature implanted and then revealed or did it evolve? And so I think the tradition that, that I adhere to and that I was plunged into as an Orthodox Christian, it doesn't allow me to see human nature as having come out of something like animal nature. We're not, the same 
in essence. Um, now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't something like a dying out species of dinosaurs that really is not relevant. It's just, I'm not related to the dinosaur in nature. I might be related in terms of DNA and bones, but there's something, um, there's an elixir that's not found in the study of DNA, which tells me who I am. That is not, that is not quote material. In other words, I share a lot of DNA, but it's almost not relevant in some ways, because my nature is fundamentally given by God. And it's more like his nature than the nature of a rock. I think. <laughs> yeah. It, well, I think that that's that you have to believe that to be a Christian. I mean, it seems right. to me anyway, I mean, you right. know, you, you have a soul and your soul is created probably before time, depending on who you listen to. And here we are in the image of God. And here we are with a particular job to do seems to me as humans whether it's to tend and right. keep the earth or whether it's to achieve union with god or, or whatever sort of pattern humans have some sort of project it seems yeah that's it? well I mean, said. we're created with a project so we're not like the earthworms we're not like the sparrows seems to me clearly that we ought to love and tend to them and obviously that the the kind of the the biological and the genetic connections between all creatures are you know we're all made from the same stuff mm. that's what it seems like to me everything's made from the same stuff and very closely related to everything else but if you're going to be a christian you have to believe that there is a particular thing that is created that is at the heart of you yeah that's pretty obvious um and so you're right i mean it, whatever sort of stance you take i've never wrestled with this myself really um you have to you have to see that that has to be the heart of the matter. I, I think um, the modern world that's bleeding into the postmodern world is going to wrestle with a new origin story. Um, I, I, you can feel people clamoring for a spiritual explanation to their existence. I, hmm. Pick, pick a spirit. And, you know, I think it's all different types, but and in, in our tradition in Orthodox, you feel it happening. Although people are like, oh, that's really interesting. Really? Like 30 years ago, you would have thought I was a crazy person kissing a piece of wood. <laughs> that's an icon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah indeed. Know. Plenty of people still do. So <laughs> Fair I can, tell you, that. can <laughs> tell you that. But no, it's true. It's very true. Um, I think it's really interesting this because this is the conclusion I've come to since becoming Christian and, and since writing these essays for the last few years about in which I'm trying to get to the heart of what the hell's wrong with this, with the culture we're in, because there's a lot wrong with it very clearly. Western culture is in such a mess. And the, it just seems, I mean, I was very influenced in my early essays by reading René Guénon yeah. and his, and his yeah. notions of, 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 a, of an inversion that happens when a culture turns away from God. And his books, you know, the, the uh, I can't remember even the titles of the blimmin' things, but um, The Reign of Quantity and then The the Crisis of the Modern World, these two mm. quite short books that he wrote 100 years ago. They're very, very sharp in zooming in on what was already going on, and his prophecies about what would happen were quite correct. Right. Um, and effectively, he says, look, if you have a culture that turns away from God, every culture is built around a spiritual story, ours was Christian. If you turn away from that, everything is coming down. And not only is everything coming down, but all of your values – and the way you see the world is going to be inverted. Mm. So you end up with this inversion in which you're basically walking towards the devil rather than God, but also all of your values are inverted. So the things you used to think were virtues, you now think are sins, and the things you used to think were sins are now mm. virtues. 
And that just leads to this spiritual crisis. I think that's where we are. And I think that is reflected in the culture war and it's reflected in the general mess of the society. And we're confused and we think that we're in an economic crisis or a political one or an ecological right. one. Those, those are the real things. But the heart of it is a spiritual crisis. We've just decided that there is no God and we can sort it all out ourselves. And, and as a result, we're going to go mad. I think Guaynon said this and, and Spengler said it as well. Spengler was another writer I was quite taken by a couple of years ago. Spengler said there would be a second religiousness, as he called it, in the, in the 20th, 21st century, as people went looking for God again. Mm. And Guaynon said the same thing. He said, look, he said, actually, he said, the only, this is what he wrote 100 years ago. He said, the only institution that could possibly save the West now would be the Catholic Church if it got its act together. Mm. And if that doesn't happen, something's going to come in from outside. It's quite interesting. He said something's going to come in because if the West can't rediscover its own spiritual traditions, a void will be filled by something else. Maybe it'll yeah. be Islam. Maybe it'll be Buddhism, whatever it will be. Something's going to come in. Maybe people are going to come and bring it with them. Maybe the religion's going to come, but something will sweep in, which I think is what's happened after post 1960s. You know, we're desperately searching yeah. in the East, especially. I was a Buddhist for quite a few years. People are, like you say, desperate for something to, to fill the void up. That, that's been emptied. And I think that's only going to get more, more so. And I've seen the same thing with orthodoxy. I mean, look at me, I'm an orthodox Christian. If you told me that five years ago, <laughs> I don't know what I'd have said. It's, it's bonkers in one way, but it also makes perfect sense to go into it. And there's a lot of people doing this now. Yeah. Almost against their will in search of meaning. I, I mean, that's what happened to me basically. And mm. starting in, in my ventures in Peace Corps and West Africa and then Georgia, I, I couldn't avoid um, my modern mind incapable as it was of making sense of the old world. I, I kept hitting a dead end and I kept thinking of, because I studied history, excuse me. I kept thinking of, wait, that's a lie. Wait a minute. That's a lie. People are happy here. People are living on $3 a day, but, they're really happy. And yeah, they put mud on that wound, but it kind of healed. <laughs> and <clears throat> excuse me, allergies around this joint. And I kept seeing a humanity in the dark ages, people that made me reconsider the narrative. And now I think, like you said, the Western narrative is dying, but that still leads me to this question about like, um, What do the power structures, how do they answer this question? Don't, can't we get somebody on here, me, you, and then like Klaus Schwab? And we have an that honest an conversation. conversation. I, I, I would be up for that. You can write him an email and see if Let's see what <laughs> you can do. Replies. You never know. <laughs> you actually do never know. Mm. You're kind of making noises in Europe and he's over there. There's something needs to happen. Like I've been trying to bring on these. I don't know what they're called, woke Orthodox Christian people in America. Do you know this whole debate over here? Do you know how it goes? Which particular one? Well, it's sort of like traditional Orthodox grounded in the fathers versus Orthodox who need to understand, uh, who, who are teaching that we need to understand America as a special place that demands special, you know, approach to things like, you know, how we offer communion during the pandemic. There's this fight about, really it's about evolution how much do we adapt to the mm. culture that we call america 
Um, I want to bring those two sides together. I'm dying, but I got a bad last name. So people won't join me because my brother's quite well known as one of those traditional guys. Mm. And so when I try to bring on folks like from Fordham or whatever, they won't come on <laughs> because yeah, right. they're, they think I'm trying to trap them. And I mm. just want to have a, I just want to have a conversation, man. It must happen to you over in Europe. People bring you on to battle you or what, what do they do? Like the secular sort of elites with well, you. I don't get many secular people asking to debate me at the moment. <laughs> I don't is know why true? that is. Probably because I'm a Christian. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm mean, all personally, all I'm really interested in doing at the moment is doing my writing and talking, talking about, especially talking about the machine, but also talking about Christianity and what that means and where it's going. So I don't, I always find debates and arguments quite futile. I mean, right. I, I generally don't, I conversations I like, debates I don't. So I'd be happy to talk with to anyone about anything. But if it's set up as a kind of um, as a battle where somebody has to win, it's it's immediately futile. So yeah, no, I don't do that really um, at the moment. But we'll see how it goes. I feel like you'd be good at the conversation. Also, it feels like you have the bona fides to understand the middle way because of your past and your understanding of the previous worldview or the worldview of the of modernity. I think well, that's also, what's happening in your writing, brother. I do. I think that's what's happening. Yeah, I think there's a there's this tension that runs through everything I write because I've 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 been on a journey for a long time, and I've, I'm coming from the point of view of a just an ordinary uh, modern sort of guy, I suppose. I'm not that modern. <laughs> I'm actually quite old fashioned, and I'm 50 now, so I'm totally out of the culture. But um, but I'm I've come into this very traditional faith, you know, and um, and I. And it, it's answered a lot of my questions. Um, and the reason I came into the traditional faith is that I wanted a faith that was very old and was guarded and was taught and was handed down and wasn't radically changed. Uh, and that's actually the great thing about orthodoxy. It hasn't gone through the ructions of Catholicism or Protestantism. It doesn't change every five minutes. It doesn't adapt itself to the culture um, yet. Anyway, I mean, I guess it might be different in America because you've got the usual tensions there, but but uh, orthodoxy hasn't really had to wrestle with the modern world until the last mm. few decades, I think. Um, do you do you so, do this one foot in, one foot out as a person growing into a new faith? Can you feel yourself uh, in whatever the modern Amer uh, European culture and not wanting in, or are you coming to peace with it? How do you how do you straddle? I think people would like to know that. Well, I mean, the thing about me is I live in a bit of a bubble which I've created myself. So, you know, we live out, and me and my family, we live out in the country. We have a few acres of land. We've homeschooled our children. Um, I make a living from writing, so I don't have to go to work. We have mm. friends and neighbors around here. And I have my church and the monastery that I go to and uh, the things I do online like this and occasionally going to see people and family. And, and that's it, really. I'm, I'm quite a hermit in that sense. So I've been able to create a life where I don't really have to engage very much with the extreme edge of the modern world you know i very rarely go to a city for example mm. and when i do it's galway which is which would count as a village <laughs> in america um so in that sense i have been able to opt out which is what i wanted to do for years and when i was younger i was very much in the city life and very much in the young western man life but i've you know it's it's changed a lot so for me 
the only thing that really interests me is deepening deepening the faith and learning about the faith and trying to be transformed by the faith and working out what that means which is a job of a lifetime and i've only been doing it for two years so that is what you know i have a i have a strong intuition that there's something really powerful in this in this in this faith in this church in this do, way do you do you know rod Dreher and his work on um the benedictine option and creating yes community? actually he came he came and interviewed me in ireland a few weeks back actually so, so I've, never, I've not read that book but i know i know about it can you do it do you want do you want to enter into such a community well it's interesting isn't it i mean it's i don't know it's it's with those things you'd have to find the community um, and the thing about orthodoxy in the west is that there's not that many orthodox people here right. and the ones who are here tend to be from from immigrant mm -hmm. communities anyway so i've got a lot of romanian friends in the church um and they're romanian so they all know each other and, and i'm always made very welcome but i'm not quite in that community really mm -hmm. um so i think that kind of community is actually really appealing but you know i haven't got access to one and also i don't have an entirely orthodox family my wife is a sikh for example one of my children is baptized into the Good church point. and the other one isn't so we're quite uh, we're, we've got a foot feet in lots of different camps which is actually quite productive and rather nice um so there's uh, all of the modern world is here i kind of feel in this tiny house <laughs> in a way right. so yeah I, I actually find the notion of a it's funny i find the notion of a religious community really attractive i find the notion of being a monk really attractive but that's probably just a romantic fantasy that's never that's not actually anything to do with who i am as a person <laughs> you know i don't think i could probably ever do it or would ever have the opportunity to but um let's let's i want to ask you a question about that i'm just gonna take a break for one second andrew swipe it hey everybody it's spring it's baseball season you know what else it is it's time to recruit for the georgian republic i want to quickly mention that we're recruiting for a new field worker in the Georgian Republic for this current rotation. Here's a quick look at what it means to be a field worker. Links in the description. Check it out. We're back. Here's the question. Um, so this monk idea, I love it. When I'm, when I know I need to be a better person, I think, man, that would be a good option. I get really afraid of it. Here's my question for you as a convert. And really just, this is about asceticism as, as an idea. Um, is, is asceticism or a lack thereof at the heart of the collapse of modern society? For, you, you can talk about monks if you want. I happen to think more monks makes a better world, but just asceticism as a, as an activity in people, you know, spending three hours writing and not, an hour and a half and the other hour and a half is on something else, you know, Instagram. Do you think that could be something like an engine for destruction going on? What a lack of asceticism, you mean? Yeah, the lack. Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting this because the other interesting thing is how the Orthodox church seems to me to be the last ascetic church, really. Mm. Um, asceticism in the Western churches is virtually gone. Um, you know, the, the, I have Catholic friends and the, the difference between the Orthodox Lent and the Catholic Lent in terms of asceticism and severity is, is not, it's just not comparable. Right. Um, because the Orthodox do what the Catholics used to do, which is have a strict fast for 40 days and everybody does the same thing and we still fast twice a week and 
there's a strong don't, prayer rule and you know people do don't forget it. the marital fast the marital fast we talked about the marital fast last time yes, yes the, the, the less said about that the better <laughs> that's that's, a, that's inhuman but there we are so there sorry it is. about that i had to bring but it this is the thing you see the, the the orthodox church is another reason i was attracted to it it still takes this very seriously and there's no slacking I, my priest is not having any messing about when it comes to fasting he tells me that it's the most important the most mm. important thing to do and i think he's right and i've got a lot better at it um and it's really really important and as a society you know one of the things that's interesting to me is for the last couple of years i've been fasting before easter fasting before christmas and then you have your feast on on pascha your feast on christmas day and you realize that for the whole of western history the fast and the feast go together this is yeah. the point right you fast mm. and then you feast we've got rid of the fast in our culture and all we do is feast we yeah. feast all the time we feast every day consumerism requires us to feast every day all of the seven deadly sins are now consumer options that we should promote all the time they're all highly profitable so the culture is extremely anti-ascetic and i do think that actually a I have come to the conclusion that asceticism actually is the key to to any kind of holiness. It's the it's the key to living a religious life, but it's also the key to just living a decent cultural life because mm. we've we've wrecked the planet and we've wrecked our culture and we've wrecked our souls with with constant glutting on the fruits of the earth, and we've wrecked pretty much everything you could wreck. And we've got a ton of stuff, but we've lost we've lost everything that matters, and that's why we have a we have a cultural crisis, and we're not going to solve that with more economic growth or whatever. And so this is the this is the paradox of the ascetic way, is that it teaches you. It's a bit like trying to cut yourself off from your passions, right? You you don't want to do that. You want to pursue all your passions. You want to pursue the things you want to do. And similarly, why should you not be able to eat nice food or have a drink or have sex right. or whatever? Right. Why, why, right. why do you want to do that? It's just ridiculous. These are good right. things. But right. when you start to cut yourself off from them, you realize that you're controlled by them and you realize that freedom actually comes from wanting less. And this is something that every sage in every culture across history has always told us. Right. right? You have to you have to live simply so that people can simply live. And we don't do that. And so we try to pursue global justice through politics or technology or mm -hmm. efficient robotics or artificial intelligence or all of this and it's just the devil's trap it's mm -hmm. just the devil's trap it's the apple again it's like hey hey guys we can sort everything out with with technology and politics and, and revolution is babylon exactly the tower of babel actually the solution is asceticism and that's you know that's a christian position but it's also pretty obviously a a, a cultural solution i think to, to where we are but Try selling that. Try standing for president on an ascetic platform and see how far it gets you. <laughs> so you can only, you know, you can only ever do it yourself. And that's where you come back to the community. You do it yourself. Exactly. You do it in the community. You do it in your yeah. church. It's not a, a, a societal proposition. This is what Christians have done from the first. Not only Christians, plenty of other cultures. Um, it seems to me, and like I say, it's a kind of uncomfortable conclusion, that that's what you need to do now. That's what we need to be doing. And we need right. to be doing it doing it by example because you can only do it by example no one, no one's going to listen to a word you say if you're not living it it's a great uh there's a great book called sugar and it's it's really just it's written by a, a doctor um i forget which i think he's a heart doctor and he he saw that sugar essentially was in everything in america and he created i always think of it as icon right an image of americans the image was obesity it's how you guys in Europe and all around the world know us 
If you think about that, that's a fact. People roll in, they're big, and people say they must be American. And he said, we got to do something. And he wrote this book about sugar, and people loved it, and they would come to him, thank you, thank you, thank you. But what they said is, is I, I can't lose weight. So he created a farm. I forget the name of the book. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, and on the farm, he invited these people that were, there were, there were adherents to his way of seeing the world and they all lost weight. And he, he said it was a joy of his life. And then he sent them back to Alabama and Wisconsin and they all got big again. Mm. And, um, he was providing the assesses and if the culture doesn't provide it, I don't know many people that can outperform their culture. And, and that makes me sad. You can do it. We have to surround yourself, right? It makes me sad. That's why Roger's book is interesting to me. On the other hand, what about those who go out into the world? I think of missionary types of all sorts. I think you were one for the environmental movement where they actually eschew their culture in order to teach others. I love those kind of people. I think we're doing that with first things, but is it even effective in the end? Is it even possible to talk to people about ideas without creating a way for them to practice them daily? I don't, I don't know. Well, it's a good question, isn't it? Um, all you can do as a writer is just write what you think is true and hope it goes out into the world and does something useful. I mean, I know that things that I've written in the past have been useful to people. And I also know that people have tried to live based on things I've said as well, which is slightly intimidating, I have to say. Um, but I would think so. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not asking anyone to follow me. That would be a terrible idea. But... Um, People are writing you, I've married a Sikh and I live on a yes. farm. <laughs> I've, I've decided to retire to an Orthodox community that I started myself in the middle of Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> don't so do you've that. You've got to be careful what you wish for. Don't do um, that. But, you know, if you don't, the thing is, you can't, you, you can't change the world. You can maybe change yourself. You can also allow yourself to be changed. Mm. Um, but I don't think, like you, the thing you were just saying about the culture, right? So you, you live surrounded by sugar. You live surrounded by fat. That's America. That's also pretty much Ireland and Europe and everywhere else now in the modern world, right? You live mm. surrounded by Coca-Cola. And all of this stuff is designed, you know, you live surrounded by the internet. All of this stuff is designed to press all of your buttons all day long. And unless you are unless you have the constitution of an ox, you're not going to be able <laughs> right. to just walk through that. Of course, of course, you're going to eat chocolate and you're going to eat crisps and you're going to go on Instagram, whatever. Of course you are, because it's designed to make you do that. And it's very hard to say no to it. So unless you have a spiritual path that that teaches you ascesis and unless you have a community around you that's kind of doing it as well so you've got that social pressure and you've got people to talk to it's right. a very hard thing to do right. so and i think i think that's what you need if you're going to there's never really been a world like this with this level of digital temptation and and food right. temptation and cheap stuff and you know it's not no one's ever had to deal with it before it's like it's like being an alcoholic and just living in a pub you know it's almost it's, it's impossible to resist it what are you going right. to do so you have to build spaces. I mean, like you mentioned the, the Benedict option. As I say, I haven't read it, but as far as I know, that's the principle behind that. You know, you build you build build spaces, you build communities. I've just written an essay on a similar topic, actually, of uh, how you can become almost a, a tribal barbarian in the modern world. And no, I saw that. I think it came out today. Yeah. Similar similar argument, right? You you have mm -hmm. to have to resist. You need to evade the state. You need to evade the corporations. But it's not a question of 
resistance so much as evasion and you really can't do it on your own and right. i do think the more i write about this stuff and the more i go into the orthodox path as i say i just it all comes down to that asceticism and it's, um, that's it's, a challenge it, it's one reason why uh, i think in our world um the modern world why we can't say well what difference does it make to me what they do over there x y or z you wrote an uh a nice article on transgender slash transhumanism and it it struck me i'll tell you a quick story we opened this restaurant kp it's a georgian style restaurant we serve georgian food and do georgian traditions in there including something called the supra sometimes called a kp so we may have spoken about this but that table is every Friday and often tonight, this weekend, we have it also Saturday, but we invite the community. So you and your wife could come to the table, you would join 18 others, and we'd start the tradition. And the tradition is a series of toasts to eternal themes. It feels quasi-religious, but a good tamada, a good Toastmaster doesn't, they're not pushing it on you. What they're doing is inviting you to toast back on the theme in the Socratic style. So I offer an idea and then the table offers it back. So the other day, I was not the Tamada. I was not the leading the toasts. But our Tamada, who is a veteran, he fought both in Iraq and in Afghanistan, two tours. He saw lots of suffering. And his buddy was sitting right next to him, 20 people at the table, and his buddy right next to him. I'll leave names out of this, but his buddy is also a vet and also saw people die, a lot of people. And the table's filled with good people, including some folks um, who had come together as a nice group who were, shall we say, progressive. Um, their toasts were beautiful and also progressive in nature. So that's good. Here's what happened. And I want to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, the Tamada did a toast to the fifth toast to the dead, which is a very traditional toast in Georgia. It's everybody stands. It's a very solemn moment. There's some singing and it's a toast to our ancestors, the people who came before us. Now, remember, you're meeting people. By this time, it's an hour into the dinner and people are starting to feel comfortable with each other. Toast to the dead. And then each person's encouraged to toast also to the people they've lost. And my buddy, the Tamada, is just about to invite his his buddy to toast because he wanted to. And someone else toasted from down at the other end of the table. And it was a toast to Cynthia, to the death of Cynthia. I'm making this name up because the person had become, had gone from being a woman to being a man. They were transgender and they were toasting to the soul that they were, the old person who had died and remembering the new person. So their toast was to that, who they were. So my buddy and my Tamada friend and his buddy got red faced because they were about to toast to people who lost their arms and legs <laughs> and who have names. And it was a moment where the spirit was necessary in the spirit of the Georgian table. So the Tamada did not have his buddy toast out of anger and just let it go. And by the end, they were all taking pictures together. But to do this in public at a public restaurant where everyone's together, it's wild. And I think that's what brings community together. Now, a lot of my friends are going to call me a sellout or call the Tamada a sellout for not calling out the narcissism of that toast. 
I don't know. I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he didn't. But there's, I, th I think there's deep narcissism in that toast to the dead self. Now, maybe not. Maybe there's poetry. I, what do you think about that? And that's happening, by the way, on the weekends in Greenville. If you want to come to, it's happening in the South, in the American South, which is very weird, but it's happening. Well, it's, it's the meeting of two worlds, isn't it? So yeah. I did write this essay about transgender and transhuman because I think that one leads to the other. I think we're going down the same the same path in that sense. And um, I'm back. Apologies. My, my children decided they were going to have a game based on gymnastics in the next room, <laughs> which I've normally approved of, you know, it's because they're, they're, they're 12 and Absolutely. 15. They don't, they don't play Absolutely. together that much, but they, have to, they chose to do it when I was making, doing a podcast. So anyway, apologies. So, so um I love it though. I love it. So yeah, I was thinking of Philip Reef when you were talking that and Philip Reef's book, The Triumph of the Therapeutic, and I wrote an essay which included uh, some references to that. I don't know if it was that essay about gender and transhumanism, but Philip Reef has this notion that we're living in this therapeutic culture. And he um he he comes up with this notion that there are four different types of, of of man who go through history. I can't remember who they all are now. I think they start with religious man and then they go, it goes, goes through religious man and then economic man and then therapeutic man. And he's, he's basic, his basic notion is that we're living in the age of therapeutic humanity and therapeutic humanity, unlike say e economic humanity or religious humanity or warrior humanity. Political, or political, political I think was one of them. Yeah. It's all that, the difference between our culture and all the ones that came before it is ours. Ours is internally focused. It's narcissistic, right. like you say, right? So every, we get our meaning from everything that goes on inside us. So it's all Jung. It's all therapy. It's all me. It's all self-help. We don't get our meaning so much from going out and transforming the world, fighting other people, creating something, you know, building empires, whatever it was that gave us meaning before, for better or for worse. We get our meaning by... Uh, effectively through narcissism, yeah, through looking at ourselves. So that if you look at what's bad, happening, Paul. that sounds it bad. Is bad. It's not great. Um, and so, if you look at say the the gender moment in in the context of that, then what we've got is a, gr a group of young people who are getting great meaning from, in their view, becoming the opposite gender, or mm. you know, choosing from one of five hundred genders that exist, and that's that's never ending because it's gnosticism. You know, ultimately, right. this is, this is, as you say, what it, what is this soul that has died and been replaced by another soul? Are we saying that a woman's soul can be in a man's body? That's a theological claim, right? So, I mean, I think this is the other thing that's happening. The, the triumph of the therapeutic has led to a completely new anthropology being born. Right. And it's very unchristian. It's not just unchristian. It's opposed to pretty much any traditional religion, which is why... Um, Christianity and tradition as a whole are coming under attack in the West. We've got this new anthropology where we can be whatever we want to be. Right. If I want to be a woman, I'm a woman. And if I want to be a different species, I can be that. People are doing this as well, right? And if I want to be one of, uh, if I want to invent my own gender, whatever that quite means, yeah. I can do that. And if you try to stop me doing that, that's hatred. And there should be laws against that. And sometimes there are laws against that. And, you know, we have all of these situations in, in the United States where children are being transitioned at school without their parents being yeah. told. Terrible, terrible things happening, right? And young people having operations that they'll never be able to recover from. 
based on what is really a Gnostic story that a young troubled teenager is troubled because they have a different soul trapped in their body. Yeah. And there's no, you know, what's the actual claim? It's a theological claim, this. Um, and this is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger because I think what's one of the things I was trying to say in that essay is that I think we're seeing something presented as a civil rights struggle, which is not a civil rights struggle, right? So we're, we're, the story we're being told is that transgender people have been oppressed and they now they have to be liberated. And I'm sure it's true that transgender people have been oppressed as well. And sure. Sure. right, I'm not, I'm not trying to deny this and I'm not trying to say that these feelings are not true and I'm not trying to say that this should just all be laughed at. But actually what's happening, I think, is the birth of this new anthropology. And I think it does lead directly to transhumanism because what we're saying is that the body is endlessly malleable because right. it can be it can be whatever we want it to be and our soul can be whatever we want it to be and i can be the opposite sex and i can be a different species and i can do this that and the other and that's that's the same line of thinking that says i can put a chip in my brain or i can upload my consciousness and there are yeah there are tra there are transgender activists who have openly said this as well. Martin Rothblatt most famously said that transhumanism no transgenderism is the on ramp to transhumanism. Right. So I think this is the same spectrum. And as I say, I don't mean to demean anyone who's struggling with this stuff, but we have to, you know, you have to say what it is. You have to say what you see. And you, it's not compatible with it's not compatible, is it, with with the Christian view that says your soul is created and and here it is and you have a body. Right. And that's who you are, and somehow you have to s survive that. Without um, being, that's the clash. Without being um, overly combative, uh, when I read that article, I thought about you're describing a propositional narcissism. Like it, you know, in the proposition is the truth. But I, I thought backwards. I thought backwards to really the evangelical movements of the early 1800s, where. I've taken Jesus into my heart and now I'm saved. That's all proposition that I ding. I've, I've done that. And um, I'm not saying they're the same. And I'm not saying a Christian who says that is heretical though. They may be, I'm saying there is something similar in I'm a woman because I have therefore proclaimed and it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. If I think they're part and parcel, they're cousins. And modernity, I really well, do. Effectively, you can you can declare your own reality now. That's the point. You can invent your own reality, and it doesn't have to be moored in anything physical or natural. Right. It doesn't have to be a natural law. Your body is malleable. Your soul is malleable. It's interesting that people would never use the word soul in relation to this because obviously that's a fusty old religious word or, or a <laughs> Christian <laughs> word or a bigoted fusty. word or whatever. But really. Soul is what we're talking about, right? Yeah, People are saying, I've right. got the wrong soul in my body. And that's a, mm -hmm. that's a Gnostic claim. Um, it's a strange claim, but it's so much of this is sort of, um, uses a sort of Christian terminology to, to present a new anthropology. And I don't think most people even really know what's happening. I feel like we're being swept up by this huge machine like change that is turning us into machines. I mean, we're, 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 we're living through this notion of the, so-called fourth industrial revolution which is the, the 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 age when technology merges with biology and this is the agenda this is what the silicon valley guys are up to it's all very yeah. open now uh, if you can choose your gender you can choose anything why shouldn't you be able to and once you remove from the the culture the notion that 
there is a natural law, there is a God that you may be created, that there may be some meaning, that there may be some rules and laws, then there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't make yourself into anything you want to be. Right. There's no argument. Why shouldn't yeah. I? If I want to be a woman, I'll be a woman. If I want to be, if I upload my mind, I can do that. There's, you don't have the right to tell me not to do that. And there's no reason I shouldn't do it right. because it's progress. And there isn't an argument against that from a materialistic point of yeah. view, because why, why shouldn't people do exactly what they want to do right. and allow technology to, to take them wherever they want to go? Why not? There's no, there's no reason. That's why it's war though. That's why, I mean, Nietzsche was right. I mean, eventually you, those people are going to say those things, and then those people are going to have to develop a, a culture that supports those things, which includes some sort of force that allows them to protect themselves from people who disagree. That, that's coming. That's nothing new. That's coming. Uh, I, I see it when we travel. There's no way African culture is going to take some of this stuff on very easily. Now, they will for the money for a little while. You're going to have to do some heavy lifting to get old world culture to say that a man can become a woman and you're gonna have to work pretty hard pretty fast mm. because they're well, not they don't like that's, it that's being done that's uh that's kind of american overseas aid isn't it that's what the ngos are up to but it's it's true i mean this is i know this is a new anthropology and it's it's already welded into place in the west with for example hate speech laws um you know we've seen repeated stories of people arrested for misgendering people or saying things on on social media about you know wearing t-shirts that have the dictionary definition of a woman on people have been arrested for that arrested um, yeah i think so don't don't quote me on that but they've certainly yeah i think they have been actually but they certainly have been in trouble i mean the the scottish government recently proposed a law which uh, fortunately was defeated but the guy who proposed it is in the running to be the the, the next I person saw that. I Scotland, saw that. right this is the law that says that so-called hate speech is something that isn't just prosecutable in public, but in your own home. So if you're sitting on your sofa having a conversation about about something like transgenderism or whatever like other this. <laughs> like this, for example, controversial topic, if you say something which can be construed as transphobic, however you'd quite define that, and your children decide to ring the police, then that's there we are. This is this is the territory that we're in. Um now in some ways it just looks like the return of blasphemy laws to yeah. me. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not so different from what would have happened a few hundred years ago if you'd said something negative about God or Christ or the Bible, um, or said something about supportive of whatever Christians decided a sin was. So in that sense, if it is a new anthropology and a new theology that's being created, then you've got new blasphemy laws as well. You've got new restrictions on speech. It sort of makes sense in a religious framework. I love what you're saying a new anthropology i always think truth true anthropology is is theanthropos is theanthropology and so now someone's gonna go how do you know what the truth is man you're just some guy in, in his basement well i'll put it this way like dostoevsky said i like that story better than all the other ones it's more beautiful it also allows me to work towards something like the divine and and that's a pretty good story i like that one i think there's other ways to quote prove it but in the end, yeah, I like what you're saying. This is again, well, we're on the same page. It's again why the scientific narrative, my wife was yelling at me today because I was getting into this conversation. She's a scientist in the sense, she's a, she's a nurse practitioner who deals with dying people and administers, quote, chemical drugs that are built in a lab. And so when she hears me say the scientific narrative, she gets irritated. 
<laughs> She's like, are you running me down again? And what I'm really trying to say that there's a control, It there's a notion that if only you allowed me to work out everything in my very, very, very rational mind, the world would be a great place. And so now allow me the control over you and then this thing will get done. And if you don't allow me, I'll take it. What I mean, that's the that's not science. What I mean, though, is it's at the propositional mind at play. And once it starts grinding its gears and the people driving that 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 narrative, when they're driving that narrative forward, if they have the resources, they'll grind you into the ground. It's the Nazis. It's the Russian imperialists. It's you can go. It's the Mongols. They're grinding out their worldview. I just think there's so many worldviews because of this crazy postmodern period we're in. I don't know which one grinds out the next the next civilization. You know what I mean? Well, that, the question is whether it's sustainable. I mean, what you're describing is the French Revolution, basically. I mean, that's the that's the first great big rational enlightenment revolution that decides it's going to take this left brain world and it's going to create it. You know, we're going to have a destroy the churches and, and erect the goddess of reason in the temples and this kind of stuff. They had a great little plan during the French Revolution to rationalize the French landscape, divide the whole thing up into a certain number of kilometer squares that were going to be equally distributed right. to population. Funnily enough, that didn't work very well. They changed the clocks. They changed the clocks, they changed the calendar, they, they yeah. worshipped the goddess of reason that lasted about two months. Um, obviously, <laughs> the Bolsheviks tried something similar. the Bolsheviks. Yeah, the Bolsheviks tried to abolish the family. Obviously, they they abolished the church. They dynamited the cathedral in Moscow. They killed the the, the priests and the nuns. But they still couldn't they still couldn't wipe out the church. Actually, um, because you can't because what these things are doing is trying to rationalize human nature, uh, and it doesn't work because we're not very fundamentally rational, and you can't do these things. But I think we're in a similar phase again, and I think that the frightening thing about this is, if it's true, is that we're going into a sort of religious war by another name. You know, we've got the old world anthropology, and then we've got the new one that's coming along, and the new one right. is a sort of version of the one that arose in 1789. It's the latest attempt to sort of create equality and justice and fairness and, you know, try arguing against those things. They sound like good things, don't they? Who wants to? Don't we want equality and justice and fairness? They sound good. The answer. Right? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's try try being the guy who stands up and says, no, we don't want you. We don't want justice or fairness. We don't want that. I mean, it's not a good argument. Um, well, so far you're doing it. Our little organization does it in order to bring eyes and attention and energy to our work and i'm enjoying it and i've got a new sub stack and you're out there i just i know so many people that when they find out i'm going to talk to you they're like they flood me with questions and it's wonderful man i've got a little half ad to do with do this with me right now we've been flirting about getting you to florida we're having this culinary event well, we take our expertise on this Georgian tradition and we bring it down to a buddy of mine's hotel that's right there in the water in Ismail, is, Isla Morada. It's basically the Keys. And um, we're going to do three days of sort of this history and symbolism of the super of the Georgian dinner. We're going to have the Georgian dinner on a couple nights, some live music and people singing with us. Um, and I want you to go, but it might not work. It'll be in November. I'm almost to the dates. I just got an email today. So I'm telling everybody, Paul's considering it. I don't know you can get here, right? Because of the whole 
Well, at the moment, I'm banned from your fine country because of my unvaccinated status. I'm hoping that will change. But we'll have to see, won't we? You're um, banned. I'm a naughty man. So you seem uh, like a banned kind of person, but you're banned. I'm, I'm, I'm a danger to American citizens, apparently. <laughs> uh, I don't know why this is. I'm afraid you are the only country left still doing this. But so maybe why are they doing this? It's almost you can tell me. I don't know. <laughs> You're the American. You tell me. I've no idea. Djokovic. We didn't even let Djokovic may have the the most healthy heart in the entire world, and I we wouldn't let him in. I yeah, don't understand. He's a good deal fitter than most people. Yes, but anyway, who knows? Maybe that will change. I mean, it's a it's a it's a great idea. It sounds lovely. So who knows? I hope we'll to have you there. It's in November, and what brings? We'll get back to who's going to be able to go, but. You're invited, um, and you invited me one time to Ireland, but I haven't mm. been yet. Well, you'd be welcome. You should come over. Yeah. I'm going to hold you to it, but right now I don't see it. I get called away on junkets to places like Mozambique and Guatemala, which, by the way, I love. So well, they sound a bit more exciting than Ireland, actually. Ireland's a bit more <laughs> It's a bit more like America, so Mozambique is probably a lot more interesting. It's very interesting. So Yeah, I've never been there. I'd love to, actually. Will you, um, well, we'll keep talking. Uh, we'll try to get you here. And then the other thing is, is anything coming up that you want us to know about? People are love to hear what you're doing. What am I doing? I'm doing an event in Dublin, uh, in June with Jonathan Pajot and Martin Shaw, who's a storyteller friend of mine, who's also like me, been shocked in the last few years to find himself becoming an Orthodox Christian, having been a sort of pagan mythologist most of his life and um, we've been on a quite a similar path he's a good friend of mine so that's going to be a, we're doing a day of events um talking about wild christianity oh um, yeah good what nice. it would be like to kind of go back to the root of this faith get back beyond the civilized pattern and get back to what the desert fathers were up to and what that looks like if we try and talk about it now so that's a sort of work in progress but that should be a really interesting event actually so Sounds great. That's the most interesting thing I've got coming up, I think. And there's a few other things going on as well, but okay. mostly, mostly just writing and talking because that's all I know how to do. Keep keep doing it, please. <laughs> I don't seem to be able to stop. So <laughs> not yet. Anyway, we'll see. I'll, I'll get I'll get cancelled eventually. But for now, keep we doing are it. still here. Keep doing it. And then I'm gonna invite you when they get rid of the shot situation to Florida, but also I would like to see you go with me to a New York Mets baseball game. I would just like to watch your reaction to the <laughs> ultimate secular experience. Oh yeah, well I've never been to a baseball game, so I'm 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 game literally. Okay, that, that makes would be my fun. day. I might have to bring my I'm going to have to bring my 12 year old son to that because he would be very thrilled to think yeah. too. Okay, you made my day. All right, brother. Um, Paul Kings North, guys. Thank you, Paul. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. Always good to talk. Well. Thank you, Paul. Check us out at www.first-things.org. This is a podcast brought to you by the creators of First Things. It's Peace Corps with an Orthodox ethos. And a lot more stuff. We thank all of our field workers. We thank you for supporting. Check us out. Come on a KP journey. Join us. Au revoir. Nakvamdis. Goodbye. And much love. Much love.